Hola, hello. Bienvenidos to the Vida aka Live podcast. Muchas gracias. Thank you for listening in today. Before we get started, I did want to remind you that we are on Instagram at Vida aka Live podcast. Follow us on there to keep up with the latest. We do have a new episode every other Sunday. We're also reachable via email at Vida aka Life at yahoo.com. Okay, let's get started. Hello. Today I have my oldest sister with me, Susie. <laughs> Susie, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. So my name is Susana Lorena Cabrera, and I am a teacher. I teach fifth grade here in Colorado. I've been mm-hmm. for the last 14 years and uh, born and raised out in Monrovia, California, and Gana Latina. That's how I identify as. So you have stories for days, for weeks, for months, for years, but we only have an hour. So uh, I want to at least hit the big ones. So one of the big things is college. You were the first out of our family to go, but you chose to go clear across country (laughs) to Michigan State. So Mm -hmm. tell us about that. How did you decide to go there? Yeah, when I was thinking about this, this question of of how did I end up at Michigan State? um, A couple of things came, came to to my recollection as I was thinking, kind of like remember that, that senior year and, and just think about like, how did I end up picking Michigan State? How, you know, what led me to apply? And so a couple of things. um, So back at that time, in um, of high school, I was working regularly um, as a waitress on the weekends and sometimes during the week at Dad's restaurant, right? Gabriela's Mexican family Mexican restaurant. And so I remember like many nights, you know, watching a Dodger game or watching a basketball game. I was already done with my my shift and I was done with what I needed to do, but I was just waiting for dad to finish up with like counting the sales, finishing up in the kitchen or whatever he was doing. And so I remember I'd always be sitting, you know, catching a Lakers game. And during that time, that was, you know, 94, 95, 93, those years, uh-huh. um, Patrick Johnson was still playing on the Lakers. Larry Bird was still playing with the Celtics. But Scottie Pippen was with the Bulls. Mike, Michael Jordan was with with the Bulls too, and and so I remember just watching those guys play sometimes. And I came across once this like curious fact that Magic Johnson was a Michigan State alumni. Like I didn't like it. Just oh kinda, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, and and it just kind of stuck with me, and I, and I just um mm-hmm. well, okay, and then, you know I started thinking about how all those players went to college and stuff, and a lot of them you know, graduated from university, some didn't, right? And and I knew that, I always knew that I wanted to go to college because like, you know, like it, like most typical um, immigrant stories, you know, our parents make such huge sacrifices to, to immigrate to this country. Mm-hmm. They make huge sacrifices taking low level jobs, you know, yes. and they, they work their butts off, you know, like mm-hmm. in the case of our parents, our parents never, um, never wanted to be able to take like any like welfare or anything so yeah, that was you know, important to them 
Yeah, so similar to like what Vanessa was sharing, like we never had healthcare, we never had a lot of those other things, you know, because our parents always like, you know, they didn't want to weigh in on the system. I don't think they really knew how to take advantage of any of that stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, but mom, you know, and dad were always working and working hard. And so it was always that expectation of paying them back for all of their sacrifices to try to like, be something, be somebody in this world. And and well, I do actually, you remember, you know, like they they always used to tell us, you know, you don't want to end up like me. <laughs> you want to oh, go yeah. to college. She told me that so many times, and my dad. Well, mom and I mean, mom and dad would take us to work. Like we would go our summers. We weren't <laughs> going on a summer vacation. We were going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think as I was kids. in elementary school when I they they're like, okay, you're gonna start working as a dishwasher at Converse Junior. Yep. Remember Converse Junior? <laughs> Yep. You start as a bus, bus boy, bus girl, or, uh, you know, actually me and David started as janitors. We would have to clean, we would have to clean the parking lot. <laughs> we did below entry level work. Um, we were, you know, sweeping the patio in the back, you know, cleaning up the trash from the parking lot. And then of course we'd spend hours, you know, throwing the tennis balls against the the, the wall of the mechanic shop that was next door to us. <laughs> I used to love that wall because it was so high. So you yep. never had to worry about your ball going over. Remember? Man, believe it or not, David and I knocked a couple of balls up. On really? The yes. And he and the man was so nice, the mechanic. He used to always go up there and get them for us, too. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. That is really nice. And we thought that was the coolest thing in the world because that you're right. That wall was so high. I mean, it looks so high to us. Now, now when I drive by, I'm like, I know. <laughs> Yep. But um, but it was like a kid's you know dream come true for handball or just you know whacking the tennis ball against the against the wall. But that's what we used to do um, when we weren't washing the van or washing the truck because that was another thing that the dad my dad used to take us to do, and that was better than going with mom because mom we had to go in the jardin, you know. Mm Hmm. And she didn't give us no break. She was like, orale. She would make us uh, sacar hierbas, recoger la basura. Um, oh, yeah, she used, to, she used to make us work. The only breaks we got was that sometimes when we'd go to like some, you know, rich person's house and they'd see us there and they thought we were cute. They'd some, then sometimes we'd get lucky and they'd let us play in their swimming pool. That is so nice. <laughs> so a couple times I remember we got to go in the swimming pool. And David and I were just so happy about that. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen too often. <laughs> they didn't want the Mexicans dirty in their pool. <laughs> and we were dirty, man, because we were like, you know, polvo. You remember the trucks, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> leaves, dead leaves everywhere, you know, all the right. time. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that was. That was our summers, and and my mom would always say things like, "Pues, échale ganas a la escuela porque, you know, es, esto es lo que te espera. Esto mm-hmm. es lo que te espera. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna." My, you know, my dad would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so I think those those subtle, you know, kind of blunt ways of of, of not mincing words, but then be there was very it was a very clear message, you know. I knew I wanted to go to school and. I was pretty good at school. You know, I didn't struggle in school, at least through middle school 
things started to getting a lot easier and in the high school, you know, I had a couple classes that were hard here and there. And sometimes when things got too hard, I just, you know, switched classes, you know, I kind of figured how to sort of navigate a little bit high school. And so when it came time to start thinking about college, I don't know, I guess maybe because of like watching things on TV, like I remember I used to watch this TV show called A Different World. Mm-hmm. And it was a show with black characters and they were, it was based on them being at Spelman College, right? And they're mm-hmm. in college. And, you know, later I found out that Spelman is actually a real, a real college, but it's a historically black college. So I thought only black people could go there, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, but it's, and I didn't know like a whole lot about how that worked either. So, and my parents didn't either. So, you know, it was, it was kind of like a combination of like college being this far place, you know, like I'm going to go somewhere far. And and I don't know, I guess it was just from watching things on TV, maybe just this idea of going away to college just started to really like fascinate me, I guess. And it really started to feel like that's something that I could do. And so when I started uh, going into the counselor's office, you know, they have posters up in the, in the walls about, you know, different places you could go to. And of course, you know, they got the UC schools, they got the Cal State, you know, the posters mm-hmm. that you can apply yes. to. I don't remember if in those times, I know nowadays you can apply to some of these schools and, and you send one application, it goes to a, a number of different schools. But yeah. it wasn't like that in those days. In those days, every school that you applied to, you had to put a separate application in and every application there was a fee for it you know mm-hmm. so at least one thing that was that the counselor did help me with was to understand like to apply for like application fee waivers so um I do remember applying for the waivers um when I applied to Cal State LA I do remember applying to Cal State LA and I thought I was going to for sure get in there and that was like my backup school basically you know mm-hmm. if I didn't go anywhere I was going to Cal State LA and um and let's see and then I applied to um but I think I applied to Vanderbilt University I have oh, no idea cool. I didn't know you know why there. I think it was I saw if, I think it was probably just the poster that I saw in the counselor's office and I'm like mm-hmm. okay I'm gonna try that one looks real pretty mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know and and so you know, I think initially I didn't even understand that Michigan and Michigan State were two different schools. And I think in my mind, I might have been that like ignorant that I might have actually thought that I was going to Michigan and not Michigan State. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember specifically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once I got my my application and I saw everything, um, I realized, OK, this is Michigan State. Michigan State is different from University of Michigan because University oh, of Michigan, the yeah. colors are different, you know. So once I started getting the material, then I realized, okay, this is a different school. It's not the same school, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started understanding like UCs versus Cal States, how those are different too. Um, going through that whole process of applying and figuring out where to go, that's when I started to understand the difference with like public and private, and in-state and out-of-state, right? So, yes. so Vanderbilt and Michigan State University were the two schools that I that you know could be interesting places to be in you know the lush green um campus the victorian style buildings it just really like something about it really just drew it you know drew me to it you know mm-hmm. so imagine myself yeah. 
type of space, you know, learning and off on my own. It just, it was just like a, I don't know, just seemed like a, like a dream, you know, I didn't really think it was going to happen. So um, I applied to those places, I applied to Cal State, and I honestly don't remember, Nancy, anywhere else that I applied to, because okay. it, because each time it involved a process, you know? Yeah, a, you it know, was a lot, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and it also involved having to fill out all that paperwork again, you know, for the, to get the, um, the application fee waiver, right? And then it, it also involved, like, explaining it to my parents, because they had to sign all that paperwork, you know, so it was like, oh, my God, I can only do this so many times, <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. you know, so I, I only, I think those are the only three places, at least those are the only three places that I remember, mm-hmm. and so I did, I applied, and believe it or not, Michigan State was the only one that I got an acceptance letter from, mm-hmm. and I was just, my jaw dropped, my eyes grew wide, and I just couldn't believe it, because, like, I think for me, the biggest slap to my face was when I didn't get into Cal State LA. I didn't have it very high because I was like, what the hell? What am I going to do? I have th- Then I have to go to Michigan State. <laughs> I don't have any other choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, Ready or like, not. Right? And then I thought, well, how am I going to get there? How is this going to work? Right? And it was really exciting. But at the same time, it was kind of scary because I thought, well, now, how do I actually get there? You know, like, I'm going to have to fly. You know, how do you buy airplane tickets? You know, there was no Travelocity back then. Yeah. So, um, you know, you had to go through travel agencies and things like that. And so when I told my parents, they were super, super, super happy. I think we all just kind of, like, cried and were just very, very excited. And um, I remember my mom and my dad went with me to the orientation in the summer. We flew out there, the three of us. And so they kind of showed me, you know, okay, you know, this is kind of what you're going to do, right? Flying, going through the airport, getting on an airplane. Like mom and dad, that whole trip were kind of explaining to me what was going to happen. And I didn't, it didn't, I didn't hit to me, hit me, hit me until later in August when I had to do all that by myself. They're like preparing me, right? For that trip Mm -hmm. um, on my own. And so, you know, we arrive at the airport and they showed me like, you know, how to get to baggage claim over there, super tiny airport. So it wasn't too hard, too complicated getting a taxi and from there to the campus. Well, we actually stayed in a hotel close to the airport. And then from there, we used a taxi to get to the to the campus to attend the orientation events. Right. And so the parents went to one thing and the students went to another. I got my picture taken, my ID and I was just like super kuleka, Nancy, just super yeah. kuleka, just yeah. imagining. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's the summer, right? So in the summer in Michigan, it's like all lush and beautiful and green and there's flowers and, you know, it's, it looks, it's just beautiful, you know? The air is different. Oh, yeah. You know, I just set up the plane and I'm like, wow, this is a different place. It's like a different planet, you know, people are mm-hmm. different. But it's a college campus, so you still see a lot of like, different kind of people you know you know I expected there to be you know more white than than Latino but um but while we were there it really started to hit me like you know back in Monrovia and LA we're not so much a minority we don't really live like in a minority even at even at Monrovia High School Clifton yeah all my schooling public schooling it was pretty 
was almost almost like a you know 30 30 30 you know black right. brown white you know mm-hmm. um but that was it and so at Michigan State it was really different you know at a puro 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 bueno. oh you know there's you know maybe uh you know a black family here and there um an Asian and Indian family here or there but we but it, we but we were equally minority <laughs> like it wasn't right. like there was more black or more Asian or not no it was like one black family we saw you know aquí así and so it started to hit me that that started to hit me as I was there and that started to feel a little scary you know to just not be around other people that spoke Spanish but you know at the time I thought okay this is a challenge this is a chance to make new friends and everything I'll figure this out. And so that was an interesting, that was a lot of fun to go with my parents to orientation and, and experience that with them, you know? Uh-huh. And yeah. and so it was scary, but my parents were with me, you know? And it was just one day, you know, it was all day, but it was just a day. And then, you know, we spent the, um, we spent the night there. And then we, I think we flew back the following day. It was just like a weekend thing. And then, uh, you know, a couple couple months went by, and then it was time to actually go to college. and And I remember just like feeling really scared at that moment, you know, because now it was like I was gonna go, but I was gonna go without them, you know, by myself. Uh huh. <laughs> I was gonna go on that plane again, and and that part, you know, is exciting to anybody, right? Because it's yeah. like you're going on an adventure. But then once I landed in that in that airport alone with my my bag you know I get my my luggage from the baggage claim and it starts and I start to realize oh my gosh you know like I I, I'm by myself like I can't call my mom I can't call my dad this it's just me you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's scary yeah and so it's interesting um how sometimes there's uh that that street knowledge that street sense that you have that you get from your parents always mm-hmm. hustling, you know, to, to figure yes. things out that you, that starts to sort of kick in sometimes unconsciously, right? So I see this couple, this parejita, the viejitas, these two older ladies, the black lady and the white lady, and they're kind of like standing there kind of close to me and they're also waiting for their stuff to come out. And I hear them talking about how, how are we going to get to the car? And, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, a, a car rental that they have, right? And but they don't know how to, they don't know where to ask or who to ask. And so they ask me, do you know where we can get, um, where do we go for the car rentals? And yo que sé. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I turn around, you know, I just kind of turn around. I'm like, oh, you know, it looks like there's a sign close to us because it was a small airport. So okay. right behind us was the counters for all the uh, car rentals, but it didn't look like anybody was really there. They're like, oh, okay. And so they, they, they wanted me to help them. They kept asking me questions. And so then I, I saw that as an opportunity, right? I thought, well, shit, maybe they can give me a ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started helping them figure out how to get their car rental. I helped them with their, grab their bags and everything. And, you know, and empezamos a platicar y las viejitas les platiqué que pues, oh, I was going, you know, I was going to school and I just got there from Los Angeles. And they were just so, like, you know, just like, like if they were my grandmas or something, they were so happy and proud of me. <laughs> That's so cool. And so in the end, they gave me a ride to to the campus because the airport is in Lansing, 
but Michigan State is in East Lansing, so it's um it's like a separate city. Ah. So it's kind of kind of like Arcadia to like uh, Zusa almost. That's about oh, how far okay. it is if you want to oh, think okay. of the distance. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the airport's kind of like on the edge. So they give me a ride to, to the airport and, you know, and, you know, everyone's getting dropped off with their families and pickups. And, you know, they got like some up bringing in like furniture kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> the bags. And here I am <laughs> getting dropped off. Con estas viejitas, so I, <laughs> I just met off the airport. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's a it's, feels a little bit awkward and but and familiar at the same time to to be dropped off by these elderly women right mm-hmm. and and so you know they do they drop me off they wish me well and and they go on their way right and uh so I you know get in and you know everyone's there with their parents and I'm by myself right and but I know where I'm going I know that because I, I already knew where I, what building I was going to my parents had we had gone through all that when we came earlier that summer so that was an interesting that was my first day in East Lansing getting to college and little by little I started just you know meeting people talking to people and I think that was the one thing that helped me was that that social part of me that I that I think I get from dad because dad is very social yes and my mom is too to a degree you know yeah they both are but my, my dad he's he's just a people person you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, oh man, you know, everybody wants to talk to Manny, right, at the restaurant. Everybody wanted to hang out with Manny. He's very charismatic, yeah. Yes. And, yes. He's, so, and he loves talking to people, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. He'd love to sit and have like a drink or coffee with, <laughs> with anybody, you know, young, old, you know, it, he didn't matter. It didn't matter, right? So I, you know, I start making friends and everything and that was it, you know, poco a poco. I, I started figuring out my, my place there and meeting people, making friends, and, of course, always trying to look for brown friends. <laughs> That's how it goes. <clears throat> yep. We find each other real quick because mm-hmm. there's offices and support systems that they had there now. That's what I think got me into Michigan State probably is programs like affirmative action type programs, you know, right? or programs for first-time college students. Thanks to, I don't remember if it was technically called the office of minority student affairs but it was some kind of office like that mm-hmm. and they do a lot of re- they do a lot of reaching out to and connecting with students of color and so sure enough you know right away as soon as I um I, as I was there those first few days someone stopped by and was you know introduced themselves and said you know um I think a uh, uh this Latino came over his name was Eddie Cedillo I still remember his name yeah I remember him I, he was like like a like a what do they call those like a resident advisor resident advisor yeah an RA yeah, resident resident advisors. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but they had these special resident advisors for like Latinos and they had Chicanos Latinos and they had special ones just for students of color so I had two like different ones that would check in on me and then would tell me about like you know organizations associations that I should you know meetings that were going on it with that were um for students of color. So that's how I started getting connected with and meeting other friends and such. And so that was really important because I felt super lonely there, you know? Uh-huh. So if, I'm very thankful for those kinds of programs and those kinds of um, systems that they had in place at Michigan State that that helped me to, to connect with other people that uh-huh. were Latinas and Latinos and 
yeah, getting to Michigan State, it just happened so fast. And, and it was such a, like a, like it didn't feel like a surreal type of experience, you know? Yeah. And so um, it was just, it just felt like it wasn't going to happen. And then it did. And, it, and then I was there and it was just wild. <laughs> and I think there's a misconception that like, you know, you start college, it just takes you four years. And if you don't make it to four years, like if you drop out, you're like done forever. And that's not true because I know, I know lots of stories of people that take time off and they go back and everything. And you can have <clears> a similar story to that. So oh yeah, one of the things that happened was you got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I realized real quick when, as soon as I started taking classes, was that I wasn't ready for college. Like academically, academically, my high school did not prepare me for the level of work that I needed to do, the level of writing, um, the level of reading, like study skills. I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have that Nancy. And so I start kind of not doing so well in classes, you know? Um, So I think after that first semester, I think I failed math. My my it was a business calc business calculus class, which okay. first of all I was like amazed that I even got into it because you had to place into these classes. So you had to take these um entrance exams, I guess you could say. One okay. E- even after you had all your scores and everything from, from high school and your transcript, they still go when I was at orientation, they made us take these tests you know, for math and for reading and writing. Um, but they were all, um, I think they were all like Scantron type tests. And basically they were like placement tests to see like if you needed um, remediation for for language arts or for math. So somehow my level of math was high enough that I was able to take this business calculus class. Okay. And, <clears throat> and I remember taking calculus AP in high school, but I didn't take the AP exam because it got too hard. And I ended up dropping the class. So some of it was kind of familiar, but I didn't finish the course. Um, okay. So um, I took this business calculus class. I ended up failing it. And mostly because I wasn't keeping up with the homework. I was starting to get jacked into the party life and mm-hmm. just socializing. That, that, that you whole partying? No. <laughs> yeah. And just. The social aspect of being a freshman, you know, and everything that um, being a real thing, (laughs) the culture shock, you know, feeling depressed and lonely. And then at the same time, um, trying to be freedom, right? Having so much freedom and not knowing what to do with that freedom. I mean, I went from living in a home where I was working, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I never had even slept over anyone's house in my life and here I was not sleeping in my home anymore you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah it was huge it was too much it was it was too too huge of a shift for me and I didn't have the right ha- study habits and so I ended up going on academic probation that first semester and at Michigan State you after that first semester you get a you still get another chance right one thing I forgot to mention was that going into college I still had my boyfriend we still had this relationship somehow, you know, long distance relationship. And so feeling homesick, missing him and, you know, 
having all kinds of ideas through my head of like, you know, what am I doing here? I don't belong here, you know, having a hard time keeping friends, making friends, and at the same time being so lonely, I end up um, not doing well in classes and I end up on academic probation. But then also that spring break, I end up taking a secret trip back to LA. But I didn't go stay with my parents. I ended up staying with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I remember Which- a lot of those trips in college, like other pe- other people doing those trips. <laughs> I remember this one girl, her parents were so strict and she just didn't want to tell them and she ended up getting caught. (laughs) But anyways, yeah. And I was so nervous. So I just felt so guilty about the whole trip, you know, like I didn't even want to go anywhere. I was, I mean, he lived in Baldwin Park at the time and my, Mm -hmm. my family lives in Monrovia. Like, so Mm -hmm. it was like no way our paths should ever cross really. But yeah. I still felt like my mom was around every corner or something, you know? Yeah, she was. That lady was. <laughs> and, you know, and you know how she always had that, like, intuition. Like, she oh, just yeah. knew when things were up. She didn't even have to say anything. She knew you were already lying. You know? Mm-hmm. She knew I was pregnant with Celeste, and I never even told her. She already knew. Um, she probably had <laughs> a dream about it. Remember her dreams? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that spring break I spent I spent it with my boyfriend and so sure enough from that spring break I ended up getting pregnant and so I go back to Michigan State I finish the semester and you know the culture shock the depression still continues to like not improve and worse I just like spent this like you know magical spring break with my boyfriend right Mm -hmm. Um, and then I start to, you know, re- notice things about, you know, symptoms like pregnancy type symptoms. And for me, it wasn't so much. I never felt nausea. I never felt vomiting. I never felt like antojos. But for me, was slight dizziness. And and my period is always very regular. So mm-hmm. that were for me was very were very clear signs. You know, something's up, right? Yeah. And and peeing. Always have to go to the bathroom. You know. <laughs> Like, oh, you know, crap. So, so sure enough, that second semester, I don't do quite well enough academically, and I end up getting recessed. Recess? Is it academic recess? I think. I think it was. I think they called it a, a, a recess. And so basically, you have to take classes at the community college, and then do well. And then you can be readmitted. It was something like that. It was that it explained in yeah. the letter. Of course, yeah. I never showed my parents that letter. And so <laughs> I end up going back that year. And, you know, my mom, you know, she starts noticing things different in me. And so I go back for the summer. And so I remember this one trip we went up north to visit my tia Lancho. And all along the way, I kept having to stop to go to the bathroom, right? Y mi mamá, esto ya no me, no me huele bien. <laughs> and es una bruja esa señora. <laughs> so after that trip, she said, she, she always tells me that, that, that those bathroom, those frequent bathroom stops were, 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 were what gave me away. Like that she, she put two and two together because of that. Mm. But later that summer, you know, I, I have to tell you know, Anselmo that I'm pregnant and he needs to come talk to my mom. And so um, my mom, I remember he came over one night and she kind of knew 
um, what was going to happen. Because she just, I don't know, she just somehow knew moms just have that in them, right? And um, I remember she was in her dad, my dad wasn't home, it was just my mom. And I called Anselmo and I told him, hey, tienes que venir a hablar con mi mamá, tienes que decirle. And so I guess the plan was basically I was going to move in with him. I was going to move in with him and you know, I was going to have the baby. And so he needed to come and talk to my mom to let her know <clears throat> that, we, that I was pregnant and that I was going to move huh? in with him. That was huh? kind of basically our plan. You know, we were both really young and not, we didn't really have a very good plan either. <laughs> um, but um, we had, we weren't really planning to have kids or anything. You know, we were both very immature, but we were, you know, in my, at that time, I thought we were both in love, right? So it was young love. It happened. <clears throat> and so. Susie, did you ever have any thought to have an abortion? Not at all. Not at all. No, Celeste, not at all. Not at all. That didn't even cross my mind. And he never said I mean, anything. I mean, we're Catholics. So we were raised, you know. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just pregnant. You're having this baby. It was very disappointing. And I felt very scared because I knew that once I told my mom this news, like, I, like, it, a lot of disappointment was going to set in. Because now, not only was I going to have to tell her, give her this news, but now I was going to have to also tell her the news about school and how I failed, right? And so lots of feelings of shame, lots of feelings of, of failure, mm-hmm. but never I had, but I never had any doubts about, about having my, my baby though. Um, mm-hmm. But I very, I felt so much shame and so much disappointment because my mom and my dad were just so proud to be able to say that their daughter was at Michigan State. And so mm-hmm. I just felt like such a failure. I felt like I had just failed my family on so many levels. And then here now I'm a teen mom. Como un total fracaso, no? Mm-hmm. But the only thing that sort of I felt like it, that didn't feel so much as a failure, I guess, in that sense, was that at least el Anselmo iba a responder por mí, you know? And I had you know, the, the father of my child, here he is, you know, it's not like it was a one night stand kind of a situation, you know, mm-hmm. it's no obvio que ya lo conocían, you or know. he ghosted you after you told them or anything like that. Right, exactly. So at least I had that, I guess, little bit to hold on to in terms of my dignity, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like not feeling like a complete failure as a, as a, as a daughter, as a woman, as mm-hmm. a, as everything right and so it wasn't you know there was no wedding there was nothing it wasn't like we were thinking we should get married but we did kind of feel like we needed to move in I felt at least that I needed to move in with him and I needed to live with him because he's the father of this child that I'm about to have right mm-hmm. and I just remember my mom being this this look of disappointment and and just so much disappointment in my mom and I remember she cried and I remember um that that when Anselmo talked to her, you know, he was really scared too. He was really nervous. I don't well, think she's a really... very intimidating woman. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I didn't know what she was gonna do, you know. I didn't know if she was gonna like swing at him you know, with something or what, you know, because she seemed so bubbling with anger and with emotion that she was also kind of like holding it in too, you know? Cause it it almost felt like 
she was going to try to stop or prevent something from happening, but at the same time, she wasn't, you know? Mm. And that was the thing about mom is that as strict as she was when it, when it came to those kinds of moments, no se metía, you know? She gave us that sort of freedom to choose, to make those kinds of choices for ourselves, you know, those kinds of life choices. Yeah. And so whenever I left, I took my stuff and I left the house. And I guess in my mind, I felt that I left and that I was like betraying the family, I guess, because of the disappointment. And so for a while, I, I didn't talk to, you know, I, 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 just, I mean, I moved to Baldwin Park crying out loud I was like two cities away <laughs> it wasn't like I left back to like Mexico or anything you know? yeah, yeah 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 but it felt like I had completely like detached and separated from my family you know in a different way than when I left to college you know when I went to college I still felt that I was part of the family but when I left embarazada sentí como que como que había dejado la familia, ¿no? Mm-hmm. Y, y, con un, y con esa vergüenza de ser una, una mujer sin esposo y embarazada. Y esa fue la diploma que le di mi mamá, you know? Mi diploma fue <laughs> celeste. <laughs> and so I just, with all that shame and all that guilt, um, I ended up spending two years trying to, make that relationship work with actually it was less than two years but it was actually a little bit less than two years maybe like it was like a year and a half of trying to like make that relationship work but we lived vivíamos con sus hermanos um and one of them was like in the middle of a divorce and all kinds of drama was happening with his ex and the kids and it was just a very like chaotic situation. We went from living in like a, a one bedroom uh, garage, like back of the house type of deal to like an apartment, a two bedroom apartment, but we were still living with his brothers. And and I was still trying to figure out like, what do I do now, you know? And so after Celeste was born, I thought, I started thinking about like, you know what? I, I need to do something, you know? like. I want to go back to school. I need to do something, right? So I came back, pues con la cola entre las patas, se podría decir, and I approached my dad, and because, you know, I I still hadn't quite made peace with my mom yet. Um, But I remember approaching my dad and asking him if he would help me pay for this paralegal secretary training program. It was like a short-term program. And they would teach you, they taught you basically some basic secretarial skills. And uh, that has to do with paralegal work. And you basically finished with like a certificate and you could start working in legal offices, you know. Um, And so since I had my original plan in college was to try to do some kind of degree in pre-law and then maybe go to law school. I thought, well, maybe, you know, I could go into doing paralegal work as a legal secretary. And at least like I'll kind of be working towards that same path. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. and so that's what I did. I finished that program. I got the paralegal certificate, and I got a job while I was pregnant. I Celeste wasn't born, um, and it was my first job. It was in this uh, 
I don't remember the name of the firm anymore, but it was a, a, a place in LA. And so they paid for my Metrolink pass. And because I was pregnant, they couldn't, you know, not hire me, you know, because there was like labor laws against that. Mm-hmm. So they gave me a chance and I basically was just a receptionist job. And I was a receptionist at this law firm. And, and I remember being pregnant and working, you know, going on, taking the Metro link. I think I worked for about a, about a month and then I had to go on maternity leave. And after I had Celeste, I ended up finding another, a file clerk position. It was a, a legal secretary position with Renee, Renee Ramos. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so that um, was a little bit of a better type of job because it was actually a, a, a legal secretary, not a, not a paralegal per se, but just like a legal secretary job. Whereas at the other place that I was working at, I was just a receptionist, you know? So um, um, after I had Celeste, I went to work with for Renee Ramos as a, as a, a legal secretary. And man, I just started to like, just really like fall in love with like that whole like, profession you know because reading the cases and everything that was just so interesting he was a criminal attorney mm-hmm. and uh, he, there was just all kinds of like interesting cases that he had and um, so I'm working in Pasadena it's a lot closer so I can you know it was more manageable than driving than taking the metro link to LA so for those reasons I ended up switching and I remember my madrina used to babysit Celeste as a baby uh, you know, remember George's Madrina Berta? They were my, I would drop um, Celeste off at their house in the morning and then I'd drive to Pasadena and then come back down the 605 that way to Baldwin Park. And, you know, I start realizing that um, my relationship wasn't going very well, wasn't with, with um, Celeste's father. And so I start thinking, okay, I don't, want to be a legal secretary I, I need to go back to school you know I mm-hmm. I want to do something else you know or I don't want to just be a secretary I want to be an attorney and I know I can mm-hmm. do it right yeah and so I ended up taking classes at Mount Sac just some basic uh, classes and so between taking classes driving to classes because I had to attend those classes in person there was no I didn't know anything about online at that time between taking those classes driving to work and everything like my relationship started to get become really strained like we were really like distant um hardly ever see each other I was not like at home cooking and cleaning for him you know like I had been those first couple of months when I didn't have a job or anything that we had Mm -hmm. been living in together so you know el typico mexicano would always be like you know upset about one thing or another because I wasn't like his Mexican wife that I guess that he was expecting. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, we didn't have, you know, we're both immature for, you know, and he's, he's off, you know, absent too. And it'd be like, well, where, where are you going, you know, in the, in the afternoons when I'm, when you're supposed to be sitting, staying with Celeste? Um, well, he was taking classes supposedly. ESL classes in Baldwin Park. And so since I was taking classes at Mount Sac, well, I thought, well, that's good. You know, we're both going to college. We're both trying to do something better with our lives. (laughs) 
little beknownst mm-hmm. to me, he wasn't exactly going to classes. But um, mm. that mm. came. So <laughs> a year and a half goes by, right? Like this. And so it's 97, 98. Uh, Vanessa was actually the one that tells me, you know, she said she, she has something to tell me. And she was, you know, running around with um, with Ulises' dad at the time. And I guess they had seen my boyfriend with another girl. And mm. so when she tells me, that was like the last straw. Like, because I had already had like suspicions about him and him seeing and but I, I didn't have any concrete evidence yet. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I was kind of off doing my own thing too. So mm-hmm. it was almost like, that's all I needed. I just needed like, some kind of like real evidence for me to say, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm done. And so that's kind of when Vanessa gave me that news, I ended up, um, I remember I called my brother David and David and Junior came. My cousin, <laughs> they came in, you know, and they, you know, todos, todos acholados, you know, they looked like big old mean old um, guys from East LA or something. Mm-hmm. They come over up and they get the crib they help me with with celeste grab all my stuff and you know i just walked out of the door out of the, of the apartment and um so you didn't talk to him well yeah i had he wasn't there right oh, and so okay, i okay. talked to him so i had to tell i basically broke up with him over the phone and at the time his mom was living with us and she was like no se vaya hable con él and you know and I didn't want to tell her everything, but I just basically told her that, you know, there was nothing to talk about. And so, you know, things just were not going to work out with her, her son. And, you know, she should talk to him and, and find out more. And something like that, we, we said, you know, I, I no no le quise faltar el respeto a la señora porque ella siempre se portó muy bien con nosotros, conmigo y con Celeste. And so I ended up just leaving. And um, I remember my, my, my cuñado, este Angel, was there and he was like kind of looking at me kind of mad. But at the same time, like he knew, he knew everything that was going on. So mm. he, he, you know, he couldn't say anything. He couldn't defend his brother because, um, you know, his brother was, was up to no, was, was cheating on me, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here, so here was like, here I am now going back home, you know that little piece of dignity that I had that I was holding on to that, you know, que, pues, que, que mi hija tenía un padre que le iba a responder por ella. And then the way things turned out, you know, that fa- that feeling of failure just was really, really like deep in within me. But at the same time, I knew that I could go back home and, and I knew that my mom would, would welcome me and receive me at home. And she did, of course. Yeah, I remember you coming back home. Well, we we're so happy because we loved Celeste. Oh, my God. We <laughs> could not get enough of her. So we're so excited. We're going to have a baby in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like a little baby doll. She was so little. That was one thing about Celeste that everything, you know, nowadays, you know, most moms complain about, at least I do with all of my other babies. They don't fit into anything their age, you know, like, <laughs> the, so you know, how, you know how you get the three to six month stuff. None of that stuff ever fit my babies, you know, none of that ever, none of that ever fit Joaquin, none of that. 
But Celeste did. Celeste always fit into everything her age. And <laughs> she was always so petite. And I just, she was like my little muñequita. <laughs> so, yeah. Sí, siempre era un amor. She was, she was that happiness, that dark part of my life. So I remember. How did you end up going back to Michigan? Because you did end up going back. Yeah. So, so in that, in that whole move, you know, at, you know, before I actually discovered, like, officially, because Vanessa made it official for me, really, that, that, you know, that Anselmo was cheating on me. Um, but I, like I had told you, I had my suspicions, you know, I mm-hmm. noticed the text, I noticed this, I noticed, like, the inconsistencies in his stories of where he was, you know, and he'd go out, he'd go out with his brothers, too, on the weekend. So I had my suspicions, but I didn't really have, like, real good evidence. So when, as, you know, as that time kind of period happened, because it wasn't like something that happened overnight, I started thinking about my future and what was I going to do. And so all of that feeling of failing my parents, y, y la vergüenza que les di porque aquí estaban presumiendo a su hija. Mm-hmm. Que, Which they did. And they did, yeah. <laughs> they told yes. everybody. My hey. mom used to have that sweater. It said, my daughter and my money go to MSU. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're all the time. Yeah. And so in my mind, I just felt like, again, you know, that obligation to them. Like, I got to do this for them and for myself, you know, mm-hmm. for myself and for them. And my parents were always ones that, you know, you, you have to finish what you start, you know, like they would always when they would put us into a program, like I remember I, w- I was taking piano lessons in, in high school and my mom would make me keep going. Even sometimes when I didn't want to do it anymore, you know, she would still, you know, make me keep going because mm-hmm. she didn't like us quitting things, you know, yep. that wasn't her way. Right. And so in my mind, I thought, well, can I go back to Michigan State? You know, because I, I, I remembered the letter, reading that letter that they gave me and after that final that second semester that I didn't have enough, my grade, my GPA wasn't in high enough overall mm-hmm. to get me off of academic probation. But I remember the letter saying something about um, after like taking some community classes or some time, something to that effect that maybe I could come back. So I, I called Michigan State. I don't remember who I talked to. I, I think it was like the readmission office or something department, you know, cause that school is so damn huge. They have a department for everything. And, you know, it turned out that all I had to do was was uh, fill out a couple of paperwork and they would take me back. And I was like, wow, you know, shut the fuck up. I could go back there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I thought that was, yeah, you know, I thought like, oh, you know, like I thought it was like a done deal. You know, that's it. You had your chance. You're done. But um, but no. And so but. I, I would have to live in a dorm again. And I was like, oh, crap. I can't live with a kid in the dorm. So that was the, the caveat. The, the caveat. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can go back, but I can't go back with less. And so in my mind, I kept thinking, okay, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I could keep taking classes at Mount Sac. I could keep working at the, at the, law, at the law office. But in the end, I, I don't know. I felt like, Everybody, everybody that I met in those offices had started maybe as a file clerk, as a receptionist. And it was like 
the ultimate dream was to become a paralegal, but that was as high as you got, Mm. you know, no one there started as in the receptionist and then went to law school. (laughs) Like everybody was there. And as far as you could aspire to was to be a legal secretary, a paralegal. Mm. And in my mind, I thought, you know, um, I would see these women, I see how intelligent they were. And I thought, I know I could do more than that, you know, like, and, and, and plus, like, you know, in the law offices, there's all kinds of drama, los abogados, las secretarias. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that, be involved in that. So I'm like, okay, it's, it's going to take this, take me a semester to figure it out, but I'm going to use that first semester to figure out how to get into an apartment and so that I can bring Celeste back with me. So that whole semester, that whole time, that was, that was the objective to work, make enough money for a deposit and figure out how to like, you know, where could I live? That'd be close enough. Where would I take my daughter for babysitting? You know, I had to save money for all of those things. And so I had to calculate how much I would need and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah. basically what I did that whole entire fall semester. But leaving Celeste was, that was hard. That was so, so hard. I, remember I, don't, think ever, that. I don't think I've ever cried that much in my life. Yeah, Vanessa. Vanessa se quedó con Celeste en los brazos y Celeste lloraba y lloraba y lloraba for like an hour, I think. Mm. And then and then when she saw you again, when you came back after that semester, mm-hmm. she was on you like glue, remember? She wouldn't <laughs> even let you go to the restroom. Uh-huh. Would tell her like, mija, it's okay. And she went, no, no, no. She only wanted to be with mommy and she wouldn't let you out of her sight. Yeah. Gosh, I remember that trip when I when I left. Um, it was so hard to leave her. And I remember I um I think Adelaida was gonna help with babysitting. Mm-hmm. And so I remember going to my mi prima mi tia Adelaida's house and because we were always confused to other cover prima or tia. <laughs> and so I remember going to her and just in tears telling her que le encargo a mi celeste, ay, que me la cuide, que le eche un ojo, and y dijo, no te preocupes, you know, I remember my, mi prima me abrazaba, and she was crying with me, and her saying, don't worry, you know, she'll be okay, you know, mm-hmm. tranquila, I remember the whole, I remember I had to take a plane to Chicago, and the entire plane trip, I was just in tears, mm-hmm. and then for I had to take a bus into Lansing just because it was the cheapest way to get there because flying into Lansing was because it's such a small airport it's it's expensive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was a long trip and the entire trip I remember just crying crying and I remember getting to Michigan again for the second time alone and then just that emptiness of feeling you know knowing that my daughter was back home and you know I just right away I just in my mind I said I need to get to work figure this out you know I found a job right away I I worked um two jobs on campus that's when I that's when I had the fortune of meeting this great lady um her name's Margaret and she was probably you know she's one of those angels you know that God sends Mm -hmm. your way that helps you you know and she used to give me all kinds of hours and she's let me just do classwork (laughs) 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 <laughs> and then she like <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> yes 
Yes, I remember at my job, you weren't supposed to be allowed to like print anything for schoolwork, you know, on the printers. Uh -huh. I remember our, our supervisor, she would always, she'd say, go ahead, print it, whatever you need. Because <laughs> it was expensive. It was like 10 cents a page in the library, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so since I had, yeah. and I had work study, um, you know, work study students were kind of like prized, you know, because in a way, like, the they the the money to pay your your salary wasn't exactly coming from their department, right? Right. Because it mm -hmm. comes from federal funds. So I remember I had I had a couple work study jobs, and she used to give me as much hours as she could, and and so um and then um it's funny because like at the time she was working at the College of Education, and then and I and um what from there she moved to the women's basketball office, right? Mm. And when she moved, she took me with her, right? She was always looking out for me, you know? And she, so, you know, I just owe her a lot. And people like her, you know, that kind of, you know, that knew my story a little bit of my story would just help me out any way that they could. And, mm. and so that semester I was able to get into these apartments and so that, and I got a roommate. And so, um, that's how I was able to then return to Michigan State in that spring, that spring of 98. Well, that was actually 99, right? I returned that spring because the fall 98 was my a, a semester back. And this time I didn't fail any classes I did. At the time, Nancy, for me, it was just about passing, you know? My mind wasn't even thinking about trying to ace classes or anything <laughs> my head my head was all about like stay above water just, exactly I need to work I need money I need to figure out how I'm you know what kind of date you know where can I take my daughter to get babysat you know are there any I didn't know any Mexicano people over there because everybody over there that I knew was te from Texas and I'm Tejanos you know and Tex-Mex people are different <laughs> than you know Mexicano people mm -hmm like a different culture, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, mucha tortilla de harina. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, that's tortilla de harina. That's just for burritos. Right? <laughs> right? I know. I know what you mean. Every time um, they ask us, like, with when you get menudo or something here and they go tortillas de harina or maiz, I'm like, how is that even a question? Like, who's going to eat tortilla de maiz menudo? <laughs> I mean, tortillas de harina con menudo. Like, who would do that? Right? What do you mean, right? Nombre, allá era bien difícil de encontrar tortillas de maíz. Todos eran de harina. Entonces, este, um, Celeste comes back with me. I live in those apart Twickenham apartments. I got my room, my roommate, and then, and then, you know, that semester ends, and and then I ended up getting into the student student apartments on campus because they actually had student apartments, and at the time they had this one apartment complex called Cherry Lane Apartments and they were like literally like right on the campus. They weren't like, you know, a couple blocks down mm -hmm. where there was mm -hmm. there was another set of apartments called Spartan Village. They were a little bit further away. Um there was like this railroad track that kind of sort of divided like the the campus and Michigan State is has a lot of land because it's um an agricult it's a big agricultural college university. So they have a lot of land for their agricultural college or their mm -hmm. agriculture, yeah, school of agriculture, right? They have a huge program. 
Um, so this huge, you know, this railroad track kind of sort of divided that part. And on the other side of those tracks was Spartan Village. But Cherry Lane Apartments were, were still on like the main campus. So um, I was fortunate enough to be able to get into those apartments. And there, and it was a one bedroom apartment. And that's where I lived the rest of my time there with Celeste. Well, I remember when you graduate because you finally graduated and we all went over there. It was a really big deal, I remember. And uh, we got to see like a little bit of what your life was over there because we were over there, I think, for like a week or something like that. And mm -hmm. Celeste would show us everything or she'd, she'd tell <laughs> us. Remember you, had, remember you had that car? ¿Cómo se llama? Oh, El Perrón. El Perrón. Perrón. <laughs> it was so loud. Remember how loud it was? Y me acuerdo que este... You were pulling up, and we were inside doing I don't know what. And as soon as Celeste heard your car, she was like, "Oh, mom's here." <laughs> you could hear your car from like I don't know how many minutes away. Yeah, yeah, that was a. It was it, you know that car again. Angels, right? Angels always at work for you know God works in His ways. Um, there was this uh, there was this organization club. At Michigan State called Student Parents on a Mission, SPOM. So again, when I became a readmitted student, I got connected with this club and it was basically student parents like myself, you know. A lot of them were married kids, married students, but a lot of them were also single moms like me. Mm -hmm. And so, and some even, there even were some um, grad students that had their families. And so, it was kind of like a way to kind of connect, build a community and a support system, you know, so with uh, the kind of to so that student parents wouldn't drop out, you know, so that they could succeed, so that they could graduate. And so I mean, those those social safety nets are so important. Are I, you know, looking back, I realized like how much I relied on them for that emotional support, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and then also not just the emotional support, but a lot of those counselors are just there's they do their job. They're they're so good at like helping you understand how to navigate all these systems. You know mm -hmm. who do you know? You need help with childcare. You should apply for this and apply for that. And it was through those through people that I met through there that I um, that I figured out how to apply to to get social services like welfare type of help. And so uh, because I had an income, I didn't qualify for it, like direct welfare, but I did get food stamps and I did mm. get able to get health care for Celeste so that I could take her to get her, her shots and, you know, visits, her physicals and stuff, all that mm. kind of mm. health care. And they also paid for all of her daycare. So I could take her, oh, wow. uh, take her to, um, an actual child development center. Um, like an it was accredited like, daycare. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before that, I was taking her to this lady's house. <laughs> this what I was taking her. And she was so, she was so nice to her. She was so good to her. Um, mm. But she was just this, like, um, stay-at-home mom who's, uh, who didn't have any of her own children. Um, but she was just looking for a way to make a little extra money. And she lived really close to the campus. So um, I was just using her to take care of Celeste. And so when once I was figured all that, I was able to take Celeste. And it was just like a block up from campus. So I could, you know, take the school bus, drop Celeste off, um, and then go to classes, 
go to work and then go back and pick her up. It was all walking distance, you know, mm-hmm. or I could take the school, the school bus system because this campus is so huge. They have like their own school bus system that sort of connects with the city transportation system. And so um, through that network, I met this, this one girl, her name was Leslie, and she also had her, a son. And she was also a single, a single mom, and she was a student parent. And so she lived south, like for, closer to Chicago, south part of, um, of Michigan. And I remember one time she invited me to go with her to her, to her dad's house for um, like a weekend or something. So we, we go, Celeste and I go, Celeste is like really buddy buddies with her, her son, his name is Ethan. And they're like the same age and they get along really well. They play really well together. And, and I remember we're down there and her dad starts talking about this car. And he's like, well, you know, and Leslie was like, hey dad, like, does that car still work? And you know, that Mustang? And he had this Mustang, it's like orange rusty Mustang. Like, yeah, I need to get rid of it, but Leslie doesn't want it. Leslie had like this really nice Jeep, right? And he was like, and she's like, Well, um, well, my friend needs a car. And he says, Well, if you can, you know, I think it needs a battery. You buy a battery, and if it works, so he's all take it. So <laughs> I literally, we literally drive to Sears, we buy a battery, we go put the battery in this Mustang, and the thing starts up. And it's like super loud, Nancy. Yeah, and I remember. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and what? And it has this moonroof, but it's one of those manual moonroofs. So he had he didn't have the moonroof in place because he just had it parked like in in his in this this in this lot somewhere. So we had to like so it had gotten rained in on, so it smelled horribly inside, right? And porque tenía um, regular upholstery. And you know, when upholstery gets wet and it's dirty, it still has a horrible smell that you can't get rid of, right? So yeah. we, we figure out how to attach the moonroof back up. So that was kind of cool. But like the whole thing is all rusted on the sides because in Michigan, you know, they don't play around. You know, when, when it snows over there, they literally, you know, they really do throw out salt on the roads, you know, because it, the snow, doesn't melt like it does here in Colorado it lasts forever so I remember this thing was all rusted around the trunk around the corners of where the tires were like all of those spots where you know the tires pick up the salt that those Mm -hmm. parts were really rusted rusted out but I didn't I'm like well shit you know this thing works me lo llevo Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know 50 bucks is is all it cost me I needed a car I'm like, yeah. fuck it, I'll take And so <laughs> I drove it. And Leslie, Leslie and I, like, I followed her. We drove it all the way back to Michigan. It was literally like a two-hour drive from where she lived all the way back to East Lansing to campus. And I, well, no, pues si me llega, pues me quedo con el carro, no? Because the, the dad was like, if it dies out on the way, he's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, just leave it there, he meant? Yeah, like if it, if this thing, you know, gives out on you, just leave it wherever it's at and just move on, you know? <laughs> but, you know, if it, but he's like, it should be in good condition, you know? That was the only thing that, that, it, that it needed was a battery the last time I remember. And so that car, ese carro nunca me dejó a patas. The only thing I needed to do was put gas in it, 
And that's all I did. I never took it to get an oil change. Uh, <laughs> all the things you're supposed to do, you know? I didn't know any better. So, pero sin embargo, a pesar de que no le di el trato que se tenía que hacer, the maintenance, you know, ese carro nunca me dejó a patas. You know, it always took me everywhere I needed to go. Um, por eso le, uh, I remember Myra's brothers, her older brothers, when they saw us pull into their house once in it, they were like laughing at, at my car, right? Pero cuando ellos miraban that, you know, I would, you know, time after time, we'd drive from East Lansing all the way to Covert, Michigan, where they lived. And that was like a two, three hour drive. Mm-hmm. And y el carro llegaba sin problema. Pues sí, sí. le empezaron a decir el perrón. Está <laughs> perrón tu carro, Susan. <laughs> And oh hence, it was named. Yep, El Perron. Yeah. yeah. Wow, sis. So, so we are over time. We had so many. Remember, we wanted to talk about your move to Colorado. We wanted to talk about you teaching. Oh. But, but all this was so good that we uh, just, we just got, time just got away from us. But um, let's end. You graduated after how many years? Um. I graduated in like, December you, 2002, so I went back in 99, so it took me three three years, three years after that first year. So 95, 96 was my, my failed year, and then I went back, as you could even count it, right? I, I think I, there was only like about two or three classes out of that whole year that actually I got credit for, and, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then when I went back in three years, I finished because I, I went fall of 99 I went full-time I would even do summer semesters um and graduated in the winter of 2002 in December of 2002 you never really came home for to visit while you were in college I don't yeah. really remember you doing too much of that Mm-mm. it was only one summer that I went home and um that I remember I worked as a at that at Levin Oaks Hotel in downtown oh, Monrovia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I worked with my mom too in, in El Jardín. So I helped her out a little bit with that in El Jardín. And then I worked at that hotel for a little bit for a month. That was the only summer that I went. After so that, I always started went. like in like 96. So that's like, it's like six years total. Yeah. So I started in 96 and I finished in 72. Yeah. Six years later, I, I went back and I finished. and. And I was finally able to make my parent give my parents Cinderella that story to be able to say oh, that. Oh, they were so happy. We all got to I go got, to Michigan. And, uh, hmm? They got to go again. <laughs> and even my tia Esther came, you know. That's and that's right. another thing. You know, my tío Ruel and my tia Esther also had, had played a part because um, I remember when when I reapplied for a mis- admission in ni- fall semester 98, mm-hmm. I was a little bit short. In, in my financial aid package. And, and I remember my tío, I remember having to go to my tío and asking him if he would, if he would co-sign on a loan for me. And, and he did, he did that. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, so, so it was really, it was very, um, a very proud moment because they also took the gamble on me to, to do that, you know? Because mm-hmm. they had their own kids that were gonna go to college later. And mm-hmm. so um, they did that for me. And so it was really, 
special to have them have my tia there representing the family that the Nikki rule um there at my graduation too yeah. she went you guys were there i think vanessa and my brothers were the only ones that weren't able to go yeah but they, they it was not able, easy so. it was not easy to travel and i think my brother no, i mean going even going to michigan i mean that was a really big deal like all of us going like that that was like oof. yeah like out of this world like we felt like rich <laughs> <laughs> Michigan, on a plane. Right? On a plane. You know, we weren't driving. I remember I was bragging because I think I was a junior at that time and I was bragging. Yeah, I'm going to Michigan. My sister's graduating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it is. You know? it's literally, it's so out of this world for us, you know? Yeah. But it's like you said, we didn't grow up, you know, where there was legacy uh, college in our, in our family. But. Mm-hmm. Mm, no and then thank you for sure and everywhere and everywhere we traveled we always traveled by by car it's always a road trip or bus yeah yeah or bus we never did went on planes anywhere so that was like a it was a big deal (laughs) it would take us Mm -hmm. like three days yeah to get there adventure (laughs) something some kind of life death situation always happened (laughs) God. All right, sis. We are so out of time. I have I wanted some I wanted you to share so many more things, but time just got away from us. So I definitely need you to come back. Uh, okay. but before you go, I want you to talk about your goals. I want you to talk about your short-term goals, like what you want to get done by the end of 2021, and your long-term goals, like what you want to get done in like five, 10 plus years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, something that I really would like, I hope um, my short-term goals for 2021 is I want to be able to make a trip with my kids uh, to La Basilica, Mexico. We've been we've been thinking about this, we've been talking about this. I haven't been back to Mexico for like over 14 years, and and they're growing, you know. Like I was able to let say once when she was a child to Curinguato. But, you know, Kathy's already going to be a quinceañera and she still has, she doesn't, she doesn't have, she's not going to have that childhood story of going to El Rancho or Curingua, you know? Celeste has that, but she doesn't. You know, David, Joaquin and Kathy won't. So I'd like to be, at least be able to take them to La Basilica, Te Conozco La Virgen, because, you know, I have a very deep connection to La Virgen, you know? my That's my... That's my miracle. I am a miracle story of La Virgen, you know, and and I'll save that for another time. So that's yes. one of my short term goals is to be able to to take my my babies there. And, you know, I'd love to be able to make that trip with mom. I know she has her own trip that she has that she has to make, too. It'd be awesome to be able to do that with her. But yes. um, I don't know if that will be possible, but but I'd like to be able to, to take my kids, que conozcan. La Basílica, que conozcan Curinguato, que conozcan esas, esas tierras before they become like adults, you know, because time's passing. It's just sticking and ticking away, you know. So, yeah. so that's, that's one thing that I'd like to make happen this, this summer, this, this year, upcoming okay. year. Um, long term, well, um, as you know, I have a, um, a, a project that I've been starting 
um, I founded this idea with Mi Vida Academy, and um, I'm halfway done with my master's program. And I know that once I finish my master's program, um, I'm going to be able to get back uh, full time on that. So your second master's. Yes, my second master's degree in in culturally, uh, linguistically diverse education. Um, and so once I get that, that my plan is to continue um, building that school out and and, mm -hmm. and open doors, you know, in five five years or less less than that, hopefully, to open doors to maybe the academy, you know, a place and a space for us and by us. I'm so excited for you, sis. I know, I know, it's all gonna pan out. Just wonderful. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making time. I know it took a little bit longer than what we thought, but thank you so much. I'm so happy that you finally got thank to you. get here because I know you have so much to share. Yeah, there's, I think this, what you're doing, Nancy, is just really beautiful because I think sometimes we think that you have to be like, you have to have like, have accomplished this great thing to be able to have a story to tell, but it's not like that at all. Like not at all listening to all of the the people that you've brought on so, so far i just love listening to these to the stories of like other people who have these these experiences that are so similar and yet so different and unique in their own ways and mm -hmm. you know i think what you're doing is giving providing the space for for people like us to to share and, and tell our stories i think is really important and it's really powerful and I hope, and I just, you know, want to applaud you and praise you to continue oh, thanks, to do that. I think this is wonderful. Yeah. One day you'll have a talk show. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. Who knows? Who knows where know, this is? Right? But, yeah. but like, gosh, like the list is like infinitely long of all the people that you could talk to. I know. Especially, you should, especially the elders, right? Exactly. A series on the elders. Those yeah. Antes de que se nos vayan los viejitos, tenemos muchos que, que tienen tanta, tanta riqueza, tanta que nos pueden compartir. Oh, sí. All right, Candela, thank you. Love you. I love you, too. Okay, bye. Bye.